I am so grateful for this church. So grateful for what God does in here every week and through this fellowship of believers. I hope this morning, as I'm talking about the differences between man-made religion versus true Christianity, that you will realize more and more what a miracle is taking place in here every week. This is the most racially integrated church that I know about. There are people who came from small, tiny, conservative Baptist churches that are in here worshiping the Lord. There are people who came from charismatic churches that are in here worshiping the Lord together. There are people who are wealthy in the world's eyes, poor in the world's eyes. There are people in here raising their hands in worship. And I grew up in a church where you didn't clap and you didn't raise your hands. My dad sometimes would say, amen, and my mom would be like, what? And people would look. <laughs> Somebody just spoke out in the congregation. It really is a miracle. I am very grateful for what the Lord is doing and is going to do in this place. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Do you have religion, man-made religion, or do you have true Christianity? We have a generation that is increasingly biblically illiterate. We have visitors who come to this church wondering, what is it that you believe? We have new believers who are coming to Christ who did not grow up studying God's word. And this is all new to them. They're trying to understand what, what, what does it mean. Right now, there's an estimated 4,300 religions around the world. Robbie Zacharias points out that people tend to think that all religions of the world have superficial differences but are fundamentally the same. He said when you dive deep, though, and really look at what they believe, what they teach, and what they do, he said the opposite is actually true. They're superficially the same, but they're fundamentally different at the core. There's so many reasons why I want to follow Jesus and why I'm grateful, honored to know Christ. First, I believe the Bible is true. And it's not because I've covered my eyes in ignorance and just hope that it's true. But the deeper I dive, the more I test it, the stronger I realize that it is. It can be scientifically backed up. It can be historically backed up. It can be prophetically backed up. But more importantly, there's power. When you read the Word of God, it is alive and power, powerful. And God does a deep work in your heart when you make yourself vulnerable to it. Right now, around the world, there are 1.8 billion Muslims who are told you have to pray five times a day. You have to fast during Ramadan. That you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca sometime in your life. You have to give to charity, which is a, giving to charity is a good thing. But these are requirements for salvation. You're earning your way before God. In Hinduism, they have 300,000 gods. 
There's millions of gods, really, if you consider all the individual versions of that people are bowing down to. In Buddhism, they're spinning prayer wheels, meditating, hoping to one day enter nirvana, not even believing there is a God. And there's all these different versions and flavors of different churches and denominations, ever all so different in so many ways. But yet we come back to biblical Christianity. What is biblically true, whether you're in Albany, Georgia, or in a mud hut in Africa, or in an underground church in China, whether you're black or white or rich or poor, whatever you are, what is true of Christianity that translates around the world and translates through the generations? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That word kidnapped, held hostage through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of who? Of men. According to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Because in him, Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Jump down to verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Verse 15. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, No one is to act as your judge in regarding to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Thank you so much. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. Look at verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause. Look at verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to these decrees? Such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of who? Of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom And watch this, self-made religion and self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, which are of no value against fleshly indulgence. These are external rules. These are external limitations. These are rituals. They're things that various religions are trying to push back on these believers. And he's saying, Christ is enough. What he did on the cross was enough. What he's doing in your heart through his Holy Spirit, that's more important than anything else. So, I'd like to ask you to flip back to Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to look at Jesus tackling religion. Because the Pharisees, they had the law of God, but they had added to it the Talmud, which is their commentary on the law of God. And then on top of that, they added the Mishnah, which is hundreds of rules, which is their commentary on their commentary. 
And these were created by men as new additions to what God had provided. And the Old Testament law was actually revealing their sinfulness, helping them not destroy themselves, but pointing back to what Christ would do when he came. So Jesus, when he shows up, Matthew 23, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, and he's warning them about religion. Now listen, it is easy for us in right now a Baptist church to start drifting towards religion, to drift into rules and to-do lists and rituals rather than a relationship with God through Jesus. There's a lot of churches where over time, yet they would say, yes, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and yes, I believe salvation through Christ alone. But if you look at what they're preaching and teaching, there's things they have added to the Word of God and to the gospel. And they begin to look at your performance based upon their preferences. And there's a wide variety of different preferences that churches have. So Jesus steps on the scene and he says, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they have to tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up, what are the next two words? Heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds, look at this, to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garment. External dress is a priority for them. They love the place of honor. It's not about honoring God, it's about honoring themselves. Look at verse 10. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, which is what they were doing, there's a tendency for us in our human flesh, regardless of what we're doing, even if we start off with pure motives, to move towards exalting ourselves. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, but whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Look at verse 25. Woe to you. He's saying, lament, judgment is coming. You need to be crying about what's about to happen. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you this time and we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, would reveal to us your truth, would encourage us, would comfort us, would transform us by the renewing of our minds, and would empower us to be Jesus in this world. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Religion is man-centered. We summarize all the things that I'm about to talk about. Ultimately, religion is man-centered. Its foundation, its root, its stem, its fruit is really geared towards man. Christianity throughout the scriptures is God-centered. He's the initiator. He's the saver. He's the leader. 
God decides the standards, not us. We tend to want to judge a church or a denomination, and we tend to judge God if we're not careful. We can take a hodgepodge buffet of different things we've heard and read over time as that we get to determine what we think we need to be righteous or saved or to be pleasing to God. But Christianity says, no, we must submit God himself in his holiness and his righteousness to him. Religion is based and geared towards men. A relationship with God should never be something we think we can control. We have to let God be sovereign. Secondly, in religion, if you want to summarize the religions of the world, it's man attempting to reach God, us in our own way. And there's people all over the world, these Pharisees, they've got their own rules, they've got their own methods that they've decided this is what I think is right for me. And they're trying to reach the divine in their own way. Christianity is separate from all the religions of the world in this. In Christianity, God came to us. Our arms aren't long enough to reach a holy God. Our understanding of all eternity is not wise enough to know what needs to happen and what we need to do. In the simplicity of John 3.16, that God so loved that he gave his only son to come. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Tower of Babel is man's attempt to reach the heavens. And as much as we know about space and things now, the futility of trying to build a building to think you can reach the heavens. But that's what people tend to do. In in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was walking around in Athens seeing all these idols, all these religions, all these beliefs, all these attempts, various attempts to try to reach the divine. But he pointed them back to Jesus being God's solution coming to us. I love how Jesus described his ministry. He says in John 5, 43 to the Jews, I have come in my Father's name. In John 6, 38 to his followers, he said, For I have come from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 10, the thief does not come to, but to steal, kill, and destroy. But what? I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said to the Greeks in Jerusalem in John 12, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. When Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Jesus says, I have come to testify of the truth. God's word tells us again and again that we have an engaged God who takes initiative. He realizes our brokenness our addictions, our ignorance, our sinfulness, our neediness. He initiated creation. He initiated the redemption plan. He called out Abraham. He reached out to Isaac and Jacob. He rescued Israel from Egypt. He initiated the law. He sent the prophets. He sent John John the Baptist. He sent Jesus. He sent his spirit. He gives us his word, and he draws us to salvation. We can't save ourselves. He opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel. He saves us. He puts his spirit in us, and even now he sends us out into the world to proclaim the good news that through Jesus, people can let go of dead religion and embrace a genuine relationship with God. Philippians 2 says, God is giving you the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. We think our circumstances are random. We can think that God's out of touch. I love it. 
in Acts 17 when Paul says that God has already predetermined where you will live and when you will live there because he's not far from any of us. In religion, people work to earn eternal life. In Christianity, God gives eternal life as a gift. This is massive. This is huge. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he says, I've got everything. Now what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him back to a relationship with him. It is really stupid and ignorant human pride to think that we can nullify our own sins. We can make ourselves righteous before God and that we can come up with that on our own. And we have the the right to even do that. Salvation is of the Lord, the scriptures say. Basically, the religions of the world are works-based. You do righteous deeds, you jump through the hoops, you do the rituals, you earn the right to heaven or nirvana or paradise, whatever their flavor is. So right now, and daily, five times a day, a billion Muslims bowing, aiming towards Mecca, quoting chants, hoping their religion says, if you jump through all the hoops and when you die, if God is in a good mood on the day of judgment, he might let you in. There's a billion Hindus in the world. They're caught up in karma, they think. They must pay for their past sins on their own. They must do good deeds to earn the right to climb the karma ladder by worshiping goddesses, meditating, going through religious ceremonies, bathing in the Ganges River, become, living a vegetarian life, setting aside a, a, a room in their home for a shrine. Is that me? Offering gods and idols fruit, flowers, and food on a daily basis. They must atone for their misdeeds through penance, 108 prostrations. I remember my friend Chad Etheridge, when he went on a mission trip to uh, India, came back and he said, I'm watching these lepers with their fingers have fallen off and they're on little bicycles riding from temple to temple to temple on a daily basis, bowing down to these idols, hoping they can improve their circumstances in the next life by their good deeds. Mormonism has a 12-step program. I don't know if you knew that, that leads to eternal life, including joining the Mormon church, being baptized in the Mormon church, ordination, celestial marriage, tithing, attending their meetings, obeying Mormon leaders, spending your life following the commandments. Mormons are to work hard to pay off their spiritual debt. There is no salvation apart from total obedience of all laws and ordinances of the Mormon church, they say. And hell is reserved for those who leave the Mormon church. They say, we do our part and God does his part. And Jesus on a cross says, it is finished. Jehovah's Witnesses come to our door knocking. What they don't tell you is they've been taught a works salvation that includes going door to door. They have a quota. They have to turn in reports as to how many hours they have worked each week to proselytize for the church. Buddhism, meditation, the prayer wheels. And yet in Christianity, they asked Jesus, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus responded, this is the work that you believe in me. I love the fact that priceless things cannot be bought. 
priceless things cannot be bought. When you try to give a price to a priceless thing, you lower its value. Forgiveness and salvation are priceless. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. For by grace you can be saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, Ephesians 2.8. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Grace is the kindness and the love of God demonstrated to us. Which God do you want to follow? The one that says you have to earn your way? Or one that says, I love you. I've paid for it myself. I'm giving it to you for free. Ephesians 2 says God wants to show the glory of his kindness towards us by giving us something we could never earn or deserve through Jesus. So I started thinking about, well, how many things are a gift in the Christian life? 2 Corinthians 9 says Jesus was a gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, salvation is a gift. Romans 6, 23, eternal life is a gift. Acts 2.38, the Holy Spirit is a gift. Romans 3.24, justification is a gift. Romans 5, righteousness is a gift. Romans 12, God the Father gives spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, Jesus gives ministry gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, the Holy Spirit gives manifestation gifts. James 1, every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. All of these things are priceless. And God is saying, you could never even come close to affording and paying for priceless things. When Simon the sorcerer tried to buy the Holy Spirit, Peter said, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. I love Titus chapter 3. It's one of my favorite descriptions of the gospel. It's up on the screen. Watch this. Titus chapter 3, for we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's a description of the people of this world. That's a description of the news on a daily basis. That's a description of our political horizon right now. Verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He washes us, He renews us, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace... We would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Salvation is a free gift. We repent, we turn from trusting self in our sins, and we by faith receive something that Christ paid for on the cross. And that is good news. That is good news. You don't have to keep earning your way, jumping through religious hoops and going through rituals. Wherever you are, whether you're like my friend Ray Morris, who said he knelt down on his knees in his bathroom 
and cried out to God and God saved him. Whether you're in a prison cell, wherever you are, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. But after we get saved, how do we live that out? Well, religion prioritizes behavior modification. Behavior modification. Here's the new stringent rules. Here's the new disciplines that you have to follow. Christianity prioritizes a heart transformation. Behavior modification is external rules. A heart transformation is Jesus will change you from the inside out. He comes in through his Holy Spirit. He convicts you of sin. Jesus had told the Pharisees, clean, you keep cleaning the outside of the cup. First clean the inside of the cup. And that's what the gospel does to us. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. God is looking at the heart. Man is looking on the outward appearance, wanting to jump through the hoops. So, it's interesting that in the 1960s and 70s, when the Jesus movement broke out across America, and 200,000 people were saved and baptized, hippies out of the hippie generation, and they walked into the door of a church, or were coming curious, but they didn't look externally like the people in conservative churches. And so often, Christian churches pushed them away because they were caught up in external appearances. Even today, so many churches, if you're from a different race, or you don't fit their socioeconomic level, or you're not pleasant to look at, or if you smell funny, too often churches will push you away. And God is always looking at the heart. My wife and I, when we talk about raising our kids, we talk about we need to teach them etiquette, and yes, we should discipline them when they do wrong. Yes, we should hug them and love them. Yes, we should educate them. But all of these things ultimately are behavior modification. And we've talked about, you know what? We need the gospel to transform their hearts from the inside out. Amen. Because I remember as a teenager when I began to honor my parents, not because I was afraid of discipline or wanting some kind of reward, but because the Lord had changed my heart. And I wanted to honor him and love him. Even now, it's not for what I'm getting out of it, but I want to share my faith because I love the Lord. Amen. I want to pray because I love the Lord. It's not behavior modification to earn my way in. And we have to be careful that, that even as we're teaching God's word that we don't shift people into, here's all the hoops you have to jump through to be righteous. We have to come back to what Jesus did in John 15. He said, abide in me. Focus on the relationship. Focus on walking with me. Focus on spending time with me. Focus on praying to me. Be connected to me. Because the Lord transforms us from the inside out. The gospel does that. The morality of religion is man-made. True Christianity comes from God's word. You know how freeing it would be if all the churches of the world would say, we're going to drop all the righteous requirements that we put on people that are not in the Word of God. Any kind of expectation that we put on people that would say, in order for you to be saved, or in order for you to be godly, you have to do this. But if it's not in the Word of God, you know how liberating and freeing that would be? 
human traditions, Paul warned them about. Legalism is powerless to save or to restrain sin, John MacArthur says. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, I'm telling you, don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what is written. And let me, say, let me tell you how that translates into churches oftentimes. God's Word says women should dress modestly. And they say, okay, well, my application of that is no women can wear dress, uh, pants anymore. So if you wear pants in that church, they look down on you. And does the Bible say women can't wear pants? Don't go beyond what is written. You should preach women should dress modestly. But let people carry that out and apply that in their own lives. People say, you can't clap in my church. Well, what does God's Word say about that? Can't raise your hand in my church. Can't dance. I saw a little toe tapping going on up here earlier in the worship. Can't dance. And I'm like, are you going to rip the book of Psalms out of your Bible? It talks about clapping and dancing and raising your hands and worship. You're adding rules that are not in the Word of God. For a while it was, you can't have drums in your church. I'm like, show me the chapter and verse on that one. Do not add to what is written. Hindus say vegetarian diet. Mormons say you can't use not only strong drinks, but hot drinks like coffee and tea. And I'm like, man, thank you, Lord, that I'm not, that I'm not limited by that. Jehovah's Witnesses, they say you shall not be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wow. You cannot have a blood transfusion, cannot donate blood, you cannot vote, cannot Pledge allegiance to the flag, cannot join the Boy Scouts, cannot celebrate birthdays, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving, or Veterans Day. Cannot join the armed forces. Ken? In the Jehovah's Witness Church, women shall not wear pants to kingdom halls. Men shall not wear, they must wear suits and ties when they're preaching. Well, not only is it a works-based salvation, but just, wow. What's the chapter and verse on that? I, I, I didn't see the coffee between the text. <laughs> In the Amish churches, men cannot grow beards unless they're married. Avoid modern technology. Ascetic Jews, when we were in Israel, unbelievable. In order to avoid working on the Sabbath, can't drag a chair, you might be plowing. Can't tear paper. Can't talk on the phone on the Sabbath. They, they, they had the elevators going up floor by floor so they wouldn't have to push the button on the Sabbath. There are some churches, and I have preached in one, where they said, we don't allow instruments in our church. What, Psalm 150, what does that say about praise him? You know. And there's Baptist churches. If you're not reading the King James, you're not a Christian. If you play cards or go to movies, and I'm like, I'm really in trouble if I can't go to movies. <laughs> you're not saved unless you're water baptized by our denomination. Christianity liberates us. Paul says, 
all these extra rules that people are adding, don't let them take you captive. Religion focuses on following rules and rituals. Christianity focuses in on loving God and others. I don't want to lie. Is lying wrong? Yes, it's a sin. But if I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I don't want to commit adultery. But I want to I do it because I love God and love my wife. The rich young ruler, what must I do? Jesus said, come follow me. And in Matthew 22, a few verses behind where we just were, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I visited some friends who are Christians, and they've been spending time trying to go back and apply all the Old Testament laws to their lives. Volumes and volumes of trying to keep up with all of that. And I thought, you're spending your days trying not to sin by external application of rules. And in Christ, Galatians is such a liberating book. The book says, Jesus not only fulfilled the law, but it says, now as believers, we focus in on faith, love, and being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Stealing from someone should be the farthest thing from our minds. Because we want to love and meet their needs instead. Running someone down should be the farthest thing from our minds. Because we want to edify and build them up. Thank them and encourage them and pray for them instead. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Religion relies upon human effort. Christianity relies upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I love this. Even if we were to say, you know, what does God's word require us for us to do? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Okay? All right, guys, go out and try your best to do that. <laughs> if it's just a list of disciplines and rules rather than relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, repent and rely upon Him. God gives us through His Holy Spirit, when we're saved, the power we need to live out the Christian life. So daily walking with Him. Jesus said, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not human effort. It's not just try harder. It's repent and rely on the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Religion brings men glory. Christianity brings God glory. I love this morning. All glory to your name, we sang this morning. Religion is set up so that people can brag and boast about what they've done. The Apostle Paul says, don't let these people that are trying to add circumcision to salvation, they want to boast in your flesh. Paul says the simplicity of the gospel is enough. Christianity brings God's glory. And when I look at all of these things, God sent Jesus to me. I could never reach him. All glory to your name. When I think salvation is a free gift, I can't earn it. All glory to your name. When I think the Holy Spirit empowers me to live the Christian life, Lord, all glory to your name. When you're freeing me up of man-made self-abasement, all glory to your name. 
The Pharisees kept trying to get glory. But God, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. This week, I listened to the testimony of Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. She was a lesbian activist, college professor, someone fighting for LGBT rights. She campaigned against Christians. She said, the name of Jesus made me recoil in anger. She viewed Christians as chief hate mongers. But she said, a Christian pastor befriended her. He and his wife reached out to her in love. And they introduced her to the Word of God. She said, I began to read the Scriptures. And I argued with the Scriptures as I was reading them. But she said, God convicted me of my pride that I thought I could determine and judge everyone else. But no one could judge me. God couldn't judge me. And I could determine what God could and could not do and and what I could and could not do. But she said, when I submitted myself in humility before God, God changed my heart. And not through a 12-step program, but through the gospel. As she embraced the Lord, the Lord transformed her heart. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, set her free. And she began to witness and share Christ what God had done into her life. She became a pastor's wife. She is now the mother of children. And she's now sharing with compassion and tolerance and and kindness to other people how the gospel can transform a person from the inside out. What we could not do through man-made self-abasement or discipline or religious rules, God does from the inside out through the gospel. And with love and compassion... She now shares with other people what Jesus can do, reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what about you? Are you trying to earn your way to God? Do you have a list of religious hoops that you have jumped through and you think that you are now righteous before God because of what you've done? Do you come from a background in a church that is added to the gospel of Jesus? Are you right now thinking your behavior modification is the method to live out the Christian life rather than walking intimately close to Him? Are you letting love guide your decisions with how you treat other people? Or is it a list of rules that you've come up with or someone else has imposed upon you? Are you bragging and boasting about what you have done? Or are you boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ about what He's done? Because today I want to invite you to let go, as the Apostle Paul did, and as Jesus told the Pharisees, let go of man-made religion and embrace the Christ of the gospel. Embrace the cross of Christ. Come as you are. Come to Christ. He's paid it all through his death and resurrection. And declaring him Lord changes us from the inside out. Walking with him daily, abiding in him, being in his word, walking with him, and his Holy Spirit will begin to guide you in what you should do. Convict you of things wrong, yes, but also empower you to walk in righteousness before the Lord. May God cause you to proclaim with your life the good news of this gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning that though we were 
lost and broken and dead in our sins. Each of us so needy, not of a tune-up and not of a facelift, but of a resurrection. Lord, I thank you that you took the initiative through Jesus to come. Lord, I pray that we would celebrate Christianity, your word, your standards, the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Lord, we pray you would use us to set people free from man-made religion. There are billions of people around the world who are working and are exhausted from the rules of men that have been imposed upon them. But Lord, the gospel can set them free. You've paid it all on the cross. You offer forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation for free. And Lord, I pray that out of gratefulness for your grace, that we would make known and proclaim the good news of the gospel wherever we go. That we would live in the freedom that we have in Jesus. That we would walk in patience and kindness towards those that may disagree with us. And that we would model the love of God. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to be soul winners for you. That you would empower us to be doers of good works, not to be saved, but because we've been saved. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done in this church. May this church not become a place where religion takes over rather than Jesus being Lord of all. We pray this this morning in your name. Amen.